My name is Brad, and I'm the lead pastor here at Hillside Church, and I want to thank you for listening to one of our messages from Hillside Church. We believe that the God who spoke so clearly all through the pages of Scripture is still speaking today. So if it's me speaking or if it's someone else, we pray that the message you are about to hear would allow you to know God, know His hope, know His purpose, and know His power. Enjoy the message. And, and next week, we're actually going to do something a little different for our sermon time. Um, something, my, my guess is, you'll either really enjoy this, or it might be something a little outside the, the normal sermon box for you. Nothing too far. I see Carol looking at me thinking, what are you doing? Um, nothing too far, nothing too crazy, but it, 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 it'll, it might feel a little bit different. But I hope that as we move through our, our times together, there can be something very meaningful for you. Um, the explanation that I'll give to you for that, um, just in way of context. When I was in Bible college, um, I took a handful of, of public speaking and preaching classes. And my, my, preacher, my preacher teacher, um, they taught us in Bible college that, that in order to have a, a properly memorable sermon, you need to have three points. That, that That's what people's brains, they like threes. Um, I remember Kathy Ricks years ago when she was working at the church and I had just got my office decorated or was starting to set up my office decoration in Calgary and she came in and she told me, do not hang four pictures on the wall. You have to, you can only have three. The, the people like three and so she was very corrective of, of my interior designing. Three points is what we're supposed to have. Well this week and next week we're going to throw all of that kind of structure out the window and do something a little different. Um, functionally this week, I've got 13 points for you. Next week, I've got 17. So be excited for that because we're going to be here five times as long. No, um, hopefully actually it'll be a little bit shorter. Um, but what we're going to do or what we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks is, is one of the amazing things about the relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father is that if you were to list all that He is and all that He does for us, you could be here now for forever. That that list is, is functionally eternally long. If we looked at who scripture tells us he is, if we looked at what scripture tells us he does for us, it's an incredibly massive long list for us to try and understand who God is and how he works in our lives. But for the next couple of weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to try to cover as many of them as we can. Um, as many of them as possible. This week, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this, this bigger concept of who God is. Who it is. When we say the word God, what are we talking about? Who are we talking about? What does this God do? There's a kindergarten cop. Who is your father and what does he do? Um, that, that we're going to talk about that for the next two weeks. Who is our father and what does he do? And this week, we're going to talk about sort of a big picture of who God is. And the next week, we're going to talk about, so, so what does that mean for us? So as we walk through all of these, that, will, that means something, but then it will mean something for you as well. Now, obviously, there's not going to be a lot of time or context around any one of these things. And so my hope is that one of two things will happen for you as we move through today and maybe next week. One... One or two of these things may really resonate in your heart and your life and, and where you find yourself right now. That, that you're, what you're going through and what you're facing in life is as we talk about something, you will either go, that's the God I need my God to be. Or that's, I'm so glad to be reminded that that's who God is right now. 
Or perhaps you might just be overwhelmed by quantity. That you would say, I can't believe that the God who I serve, the God who loves me, is all of this. But yeah, so for some of these, there's not going to be much context around them. Perhaps some of the verses we may even, because each one will have a little verse for and then it'll have a little thought. Um, some of the verses might need some unpacking if we were to really understand them in context. Like, like the first one. The first one, God is, he is... The king of kings. And the verse that we're going to look at is Revelation chapter 19, verse 16, which says, On his robe and on his thigh has the name written, King of Kings. Now, there's a whole sermon series to unpack about what's taking place in, in these verses. And we're not going to do that. We're just going to talk about how God is the king of kings. And what that means is that God is above and beyond any human ruler or authority. And while we may at times look at the state of our world or our country or whatever and mourn or lament and, and we, what we may see as bad leaders or bad leadership or bad decisions or, or the paths that we're headed on and, and all of these things, we may see them in, in, in different understandings and different lights. What Jesus, what God being the King of Kings tells us is that we can have confidence knowing that above and beyond any power or any authority that exists here on earth, God is the King of Kings. Next, he's the Lord of Lords. Deuteronomy chapter 17 verse 14 says, For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. The first of the Ten Commandments was that we should have no other God before him. And God being the Lord of lords means that whoever these other gods are, that, that when, when God would say, you should have no other gods before me, what, what God being the Lord of lords, what him in that verse saying that he's the God of gods means is that whoever that other God may be, whether it's, it's a literal other God or whether it's a God that we've created for ourselves, they simply cannot compete with the great and mighty awesome God of the Bible. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the Lord of lords. Outside of God, there just is no other. Next, he is good. First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 34 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his love endures forever. Jesus said, actually, in Luke chapter 18, Jesus, when, when somebody called him a good teacher, Jesus said this, No one is good except for God alone. And First John tells us that God is light, and in him there is no darkness in all. To say that God is good... What we, say, what we mean when we say that is that God always acts in accordance to what is true, what is right, and what is good. The fact that God is good means that there's no evil in him. His intentions and his motivations, the things that he does and why he does them is good. He always does what is right and the outcome of his plan is always good. Now, we may struggle in the moment and in the time as we look around and say, God, what is good about all of this? But when we know and we understand that God is good, we know that we may not be able to see the good, but we can trust that God will work things out for good. Now, not only is God good, but he's also great. Psalm chapter 86, verse 10 says, For you are great and do marvelous things, or marvelous deeds. You alone are God. When we talk about someone and we use the word great, it usually has to do 
with an admiration of someone's accomplishments or abilities. That if we talk about a great hockey player, or if we talk about a great leader, or if we talk about a great friend, the reason why we would call them great is because of what they've done to earn that title. That they're a great hockey player because of how well they play hockey. They're a great friend because of how well they care for us. We hold these great people in high regard because of a skill or quality that they possess that surpasses the skills and qualities of others we know. That, that if you talk about somebody is a great person, that, that what that means is as you look around at other people, you see them above them. However, when the Bible refers to God as great, it's such, in such a broad scope and such a picture of ultimate supremacy that it surpasses our human understanding of of accomplishment or ability. That God isn't great just simply because he's better than. He's not great just simply because, well, when we look at all of the other options, he, he rises above them a little bit. Scripture's description of God as great demonstrates that he's the pinnacle of every admirable quality, making God alone worthy of our worship. Next, he is love. John, or 1 John 4, 16 says, God is love. Whoever, in, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. You see, God, or love, is not just an attribute of God. It's not just something that, that, that God has, that part of God is love. But this verse tells us that, that God is love. To understand love is to understand God. If we have love in our life, it is because of God. Love is a core aspect of God's character, his person. Everything that God does is loving. God is, is the perfect example of love. Now, now sometimes it can be, again, hard to see the, the love in something, but, but Scripture will actually say that, that the Lord disciplines those he loves. That out of his love, sometimes there's discipline that takes place in our lives. That sometimes, even when things may seem difficult, we can still know and believe in God's love. The greatest example of God's love is communicated to us in in John chapter 3, John 3, 16. Many of you may be familiar with this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but would have eternal life. Next, he's holy. Psalm chapter 22, verse 3 says, Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one that Israel praises. The holiness of God, the understanding that God is holy, is probably the most difficult attribute of God's to personalize, to to put into context in our own lives, and, and the big reason for that is, is because God's holiness is one of his essential attributes that is not shared inherently by us, by people. I am not holy apart from God. I cannot tell you how to look at each one of us and see holiness. The, the, idea, the holiness, the word, the word holy, what it really means is, is separate from, set aside from. 
And so when we say that God is holy, we're not just saying somehow, oh, well, he, he's a better Christian than we are. He does more holy things. He does more right things. So he's more holy. By definition, the word holy means that he's set apart, set aside from us. We're created in God's image so, so we can share many of his attributes. But, but some of God's attributes we don't share in. God's holiness is what separates him from other beings. What makes him separate and distinct from everything else. It's why when we call him holy, we mean he's separate from God's holiness is more than just his, his perfection or his sinless purity. It's the essence of that otherness, his transcendence. God's holiness embodies the mystery of his awesomeness and his majesty. Next, God is merciful. And this is Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 31 says, For the Lord your God is a merciful God. God being merciful basically means that, that when we deserve punishment, when, when we do something wrong, he doesn't, he doesn't punish us. But, but mercy isn't just reflective of, of somehow an excusal from punishment. That it's not somehow just simply that, that what was supposed to happen didn't. But there's a, there's a, there's a part of mercy that, that has to do with he doesn't just punish us, but in fact... He blesses us. Mercy is when we deserve something negative, And not only do we not get something negative, but the pendulum actually swings the other way. If, if, if one of my kids someday at some point in the future ever did anything wrong, mercy is just somehow me just not acknowledging it. That it's not just me standing at a distance and letting them go and have this moment where they realize... Nothing, I'm, nothing has happened. I'm not in my room. Mercy is when I come and I say to my son, it's okay. It's all right. It'll be okay. That's mercy. That, that it's bigger than just the, the removal of punishment, but it's the blessing of God's love. And of course, God fully demonstrated his mercy for us. In, in the cross of Jesus Christ, where it's not just that, that we didn't receive punishment, but God's mercy passed our punishment on to his son. Next, he is righteous. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. And that's Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4. It is important that we understand that, that righteousness is not just how God acts. It's not just that we look at God and we go, okay, that was righteous, and we wait for the next one. But we need to understand that it's something that God is. God is righteous. To put it another way, righteousness is part of God's character. Since he's righteous, that means that there's no other way for him to act because he must remain true to who he is. To understand righteousness, to understand that God is righteous, is to understand that it's not that he just simply makes a choice to be righteous, but to understand that in the very fabric of who God is, is he, that he is righteous. Every action God takes towards you will always be right, just, and honest. And along those lines, he is just. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 8 says, For I, the Lord, love justice. 
When we say that God is just, we, we mean that per, he is perfectly right and upright in his treatment of his creation. God is just and his justice is an indispensable part of his character. In the same way that, that mercy and love are, are indispensable. Without his justice, sin would reign unchecked. Evil would win. Without God's justice, we would be doomed to a world full of sin. But because of God's justice, he took on and he conquered death and he conquered hell and he conquered the grave because God is just and so he needed to deal with the injustice of sin. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 9 will tell us that he is faithful. And it says, know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations, to those who love him and keep his commandments. Now, faithfulness is a verse that, that you can find many representations of all throughout scripture. And in fact, there are entire chapters of scripture dedicated to seeing God's faithfulness. Over and over again, we learn that when God says he will do something, he does it even when it seems impossible. We just have walked through Christmas and all of the impossibilities. And we see in the Christmas story, the angel telling Mary what seems impossible with them, it is possible with God. When God says something, it will happen. This is true for the past. It's true for the present and for the future. God is eternally reliable, steadfast and unwavering. If, if this were not the case, if, if God were not faithful even once, he wouldn't be God. And we could not rely on any of his promises. That we, we know that to be true in our own lives. That I promise something, but the minute I don't follow through on a promise, the next time I say I promise, it's worth a little less. And if we have a God whose promises are worth just a little less, that's a tough God to trust. But 1 Kings chapter 8 tells us not one word has failed of all the good promises he gave. 1 Kings chapter 8 verse 56. Next, he is worthy. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. We worship God because what we found in him is the most valuable thing that life has to offer. He ransomed us from sin. He restored us to the Father. He satisfies every longing of our hearts. We have found in Jesus that nothing else in life even comes close to quenching the thirst of our souls compared to Jesus. So when we say that Jesus is worthy, we are saying that he is of infinite value. His worth has no limit. Nothing compares to have Christ is to have everything that our soul ever longs for. I always, for years, struggled when we would sing songs about, especially songs like when we would sing at Christmas and we would sing, we'll give him all the glory. Because I would always think to myself, I don't have any glory. I'll give God all the glory I have. Well, I don't have any glory. What, what does that even mean? But when we talk about how God is worthy, what we understand is it's not that we're giving him all the glory that's been given to me. Because that's, that's not a lot of glory. But it's whatever we have, God, you're worth more than it. Whatever I can give, God, you're worth more than that. 
The next one. He is the all-sufficient one. And the verse for this is, is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. And it says, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God is the uncaused cause. He is the uncreated creator. He is the source of all things, the one who originated everything and who sustains everything that exists. In John chapter 1, it will tell us that through him everything was created and everything that exists exists because of him. It's not just that he, he started the ball rolling, but he keeps it going. The all-sufficiency of God means that he is the one in whom all other things find their source, that, that nothing exists apart from him. Their existence and their continuance, that it's not just that God begins, but it's that God continues. He is the ever-present power that sustains all life. And if God was to remove his all-sufficiency, we would be done. The all-sufficiency of God means that we can depend on him as the independent one who is able to deliver, to protect, and to keep those who trust him. If we understand this biblical concept of all sufficiency, we will begin or we will we will be kept from thinking that God is finite, that he grows weary, or that he will ever be insufficient to meet our needs. When we understand that God is all sufficient, then whatever we need, we look to and we say God can do that. Physical, spiritual, emotional, whatever it is that we may look at and go, I don't know, can I trust God for that? When we understand that God is all sufficient, we understand we can trust God for that. Just a couple more. He is the light of the world. John chapter 8 verse 12 says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When we're, we're, when we're born into this world, our eyes, they, they begin to perceive physical light. And, and we learn of it, or, and by it we learn of our, our creator's handiwork that, that we see in all things. However, although that light is good, it's not just that, that there's physical light. There is another light, a light so important that the Son of God came in order to both declare it, and impart it to men. John chapter 8 verse 12 records Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. The allegory used by Jesus here in this verse speaks to the light of his truth, the light of his word, the light of eternal life. Those who perceive the true life will never walk in spiritual darkness. Next, he is sovereign. 2 Samuel chapter 7 Verse 28 says, Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy and you have promised these good things to your servant. The fact that, that God is sovereign essentially means that, that he has the power, the wisdom, and the authority to do anything he chooses with his creation. What God being sovereign means is that he is in control. That, that we're not spiraling out of control, that we're not just rambling through life and seeing where we go, that we serve a God who not only has a will, but is able to do his will, that he's able to work his will in our lives. 
God is described in the Bible as being all-powerful and being all-knowing, being outside of time and responsible for the creation of everything. And the last one that we're going to look at for our time together today. He is changeless. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. God speaks to the prophet Malachi and he simply says, I, the Lord, do not change. Change in our lives is ever-present. Things are constantly changing. Every day, we wake up and things are different. And not every change is positive. Sometimes, change is good. Sometimes, things change and I'm so thankful for that change. But a lot of times, change isn't great either. But if we trust in Jesus... We have no reason to be afraid of change. When we are placing our trust in the one who is incapable of changing and who will never allow his promises to fail, then we trust and believe in the one who has made the promise. Over the last couple of months here at church, we, we, we walked through the book of, of Hosea? No. Ezra, thank you. Somebody remember, hey, well done, Jenna, you get a gold star. Um, we walked through the book of Ezra, and we saw this story of the people in captivity. And we saw this story of, of the people going into captivity under one empire. But by the end of the story, they're still in captivity, just in captivity under a different empire. And yet the promise that God makes is, I don't change. Your situation may change. The empire ruling over you may change. Your situation may seemingly go from bad to worse. It may change. But I, the Lord, don't change. The same God who gave Moses the Ten Commandments is the same God who commanded Joshua to take the promised land, is the same God who told them to walk around the city of Jericho, the same God who, who cursed Naaman of his leprosy, or cured Naaman, sorry, cured Naaman of his leprosy. The same God who healed the blind, made the lame to walk, raised the dead, and cast out demons. Is the same God who sent his son to die for your sins. It's the same God who raised Jesus from the dead. And is the same God who hears your prayers, catches your tears, and is with you every single day. It's four square bylaw. We have to have displayed inside of our church Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, which says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I, the Lord, do not change. There's an old song. There's a line that goes, Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. And so that's it. That's all we're going to look at this morning. I hope that perhaps for you this morning, one of these really resonated with you. Two of them spoke to your life and spoke to your situation. Or, or perhaps, if not that, like I said, maybe the sheer volume of who God is for us can speak to your life today. That you were able to, to, to say yesterday for, for Christmas Day, Tracy led us and we sang, I stand amazed in the presence of, of Jesus the Nazarene. And maybe today you just leave saying, I stand amazed that this is the God whom I serve. That this, this 
And so much more is the God in whom we've placed our trust. Everything we talked about, about who God is, he still is. And everything that God is, he will be. I, the Lord, doesn't say I, the Lord, have not changed. I, the Lord, do not change. So that's hope for our past. That's hope for our present. And that's hope for our future. Next week when we're together, we're going to share in a similar exercise, except next time we won't be looking at who God is. We'll be looking at who God is for us, who God is for me. And so we're going to talk about he is my, and we'll explore some of those things. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity and this chance to be together. I thank you for this, this church family. I thank you for, for each one that's able to join us here and each one that's able to join us online and each one that'll be listening later. God, I thank you for, for our Hillside Church family. And God, I thank you that we are a family that's brought together by you, that is united in, in, in our love and our devotion to you and Jesus or in you and in, in your sacrifice for us. And God, I thank you that as we've explored just the tip of the iceberg of who it is that you are, God, I thank you that every one of these attributes, every one of these characteristics of who you are, God, they both serve as a piece of knowledge and they serve as a promise. They serve as a promise that everything you were, you are, and everything you are, you will be. And so, God, I thank you that as we've moved through all of these different topics this morning, we can stand on the promise that knowing that you were merciful, you are merciful, and you will be merciful. That you were faithful, you are faithful, and you will be faithful. That you were love, you are love, and you will be love towards us. God, I thank you that you, the Lord, do not change. And God, as we, as we see 2021 come to a close and we stand maybe anxiously, nervously on the edge of what 2022 may bring, God, may we be able to stand in hope and in faith and in confidence, knowing in whom we've placed our trust, that you, the Lord, do not change. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Are you past the point of weary? Is your burden weighing heavy? Thanks for listening to this message from Hillside Church. I pray that you were blessed by what God had to say in this message. If you would like to connect further with Hillside Church, there are a couple places you can go. HillsideAirdrie.ca is our website. And you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HillsideAirdrie. You can also look us up on YouTube and find all of our messages on Apple Podcasts. If you would like to connect to the pastoral team at Hillside, you can do that through our website, hillsideairdry.ca, and click on About Us in the main menu, and then click on Our Pastors. We're so thankful to be able to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with our community in Airdrie and with you today. At Hillside Church, we are a family, not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. And that family includes you. As family we go.
about me Let me tell you about my Jesus Oh He makes a way where there ain't no way Rises up 